Please open your Bibles if you've got them at Matthew chapter 7. We hope to have a shorter study uh, this morning so that we can get to the table. Father, bless us now as we come to your word. We ask that you will give us teachable spirits. May we not come already making judgments upon your word, but rather allow your spirit to speak to us and lead us into truth and to blessing. We pray this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. So, if you've been tracking with us over these last number of months, you know that we are in this greatest of all sermons, and Jesus has been teaching us about many, many things, about the disciples' character, the disciples' influence, salt and light, the disciples' righteousness, which should be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees, he says. He's also been teaching us about the disciples' piety, their ambition, and their trust, a number of different things. Now, as we come to chapter 7, there's a change of direction again. And Jesus now deals with relationships, particularly in verses 1 to 12. Relationships, for instance, with our brothers and our sisters who may have specks of sin in their eyes. How do we deal with them? Or those who are not brothers and sisters, who are in fact strangely called here dogs and pigs. Not every unbeliever, of course, is a dog or pig, but those who are. Jesus says we've got to relate to them, and how do we do that? And then he also deals with the relationship with our Father in heaven, verses 7 to 11. That's next week. And then with everyone in general, verse 12. So we hear from Jesus what the gospel has to say about these key relationships that we're all involved in. Now we should expect this, of course, and we certainly need this, because no man is an island, we're told. And that's true, isn't it? We don't live lives as hermits. Life is not an individualistic thing. God made us, and he knows us, and he's oh, very aware of our weaknesses and our sins. He still loves us, and he wants what's best for us. And he wants what's best for us when it comes to our relationships. And so verses 1 to 5, we see the focus is within the church. Notice the uh, reference to brother. And verse 6 is the focus of those outside of the church and the discernment we must have with those who aggressively ridicule and reject the gospel. How are we supposed to relate to them? So let's think, first of all, we're only really two headings this morning. First of all, the danger of being judgmental, verses 1 to 5. This relationships within the church. How do we deal with each other? Now, this teaching, of course, has been horribly abused uh, over the years. I mean, Jesus is not referring to, for instance, the legal system. Some would say, oh, we should not recognize the courts of the land. That's not what this verse is teaching. Jesus himself acknowledged that Pilate had a responsibility to judge. And in this broken world, we actually need courts of law and we need judges. So that's not what this verse is teaching. Neither is it um, Jesus referring to the authority within the home of parents who must make judgments from time to time, or within the church where leaders have to make judgments from time to time. Leaders and parents must make decisions that really are judgments. Jesus said, that's okay, that's grand, that's good, that's needed. Proverbs, for instance, exhorts parents to exercise good and necessary judgments in their parenting. Many, many places in the book of Proverbs. Discipline is required within the church. 
the reformers used to say that the mark of the church was three things. The gospel is preached, number one. The sacraments administered, number two. And disciplined exercise, number three. We're not so bothered by the first two. It's the third one that we're actually a wee bit troubled by, aren't we? And we tend to shy away from. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and with careful instruction. Yes, make judgments, leaders, but do it carefully. Paul instructed the Corinthian leaders to deal with the sin within the church and pass judgments where necessary. But he said, be careful. Do it properly. So, in the home and in the church, leaders are called to make judgments. Jesus is not forbidding any of these things. In fact, Jesus expects us to exercise judgments when necessary. And he does so in this very sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 6, for instance. I mean, we've got to decide who these pigs are, who these dogs are. It's not easy, as we will see in a moment or two. And in verses 16 and 20, Jesus warns us to distinguish between false and true prophets and this famous line that we often quote, by their fruit, you will know them. So we've got to look at them, in a sense, we've got to pass judgment on them. So Jesus expects us to make judgments when necessary. He's not condemning the legal system of the land. He's not condemning the judging and disciplining by parents or by church leaders. And he's not condemning our judgment of false teachers and sinful living. Why? Because all these things are are constructive uh, in their aim. The the idea is that that fair judgment is made. It seeks the greater good of those within the family, with those within the country, and with those within the church. So, what is Jesus condemning? What's he gunning for here? Well, what I see, I think, is a command and then um, a a reason. I think the command is there is, is verse one. I think he commands us to stop this censorious, critical fault-finding that very often is present within our hearts. There are folk who just seem to be so unfair in the way they think and in the way they speak. They're destructive with the way they treat people. And they never seem to want to seek the good at all of, of others. They almost enjoy judging. One commenter described them like this. Self-righteous, egotistical judgment and unmerciful condemnation of others. And what's wrong with this, of course, is that um, it judges the motive. It judges the heart. It judges the soul. I don't know if you watched Prince Andrew interviewed last night in television. What went on in your heart as you listened? Did we judge his heart, his motive, his soul? It's right to say wrong is wrong. But how far do we go? Only God can see these things, the motive, the heart, and the soul. 
Only God can do these things. And so the call is not to stop examining and discerning right and wrong or good or bad. That's what we're supposed to do. But his call is to stop trying to be God. Stop trying to be God with other people. Stop this destructive, unfair fault-finding. That's the command. And the reason is that, uh, well, if we do so, we will um, find us like a boomerang. (laughs) Such judgment is like a boomerang. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's why we read from Psalm 51 at the beginning of the service. After David sinned with Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan came with a a kind of a case that he wanted David to judge. If you know the story, then then you'll be familiar with it. If you don't, let, let me quickly explain what it was. The issue was a rich man who had many, many, many sheep. And he stole the one lamb that a poor man had so that he might slay it and feed his friends. And when Nathan told the story, David became angry. So angry. How could this rich man do that? And this is what he said. As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. And do you remember what Nathan said? You are the man. You are the man. And David, of course, was broken. He goes out and he repents and he writes Psalm 51 in response. You see, David's angry judgment blew up in his face. And there can be a deadly payback when we judge others in a censorious, critical, unfair kind of way. Invariably, inevitably, it's going to come back and hit us right in the eyes. I wonder how many of us would pray this prayer. Father, judge me as I judge my fellow brothers and sisters. Could you pray that? Should you pray that? No, you shouldn't. Because if you did, you might end up in a great deal of trouble. You know what Jesus says? You were made for better. Christians, you were made for much, much, much better than this. Put away savage, critical hearts, he says. Is there anything worse within the church than a savage, critical spirit? Is there anything worse within the church than an attitude that is always looking for something wrong in the other person? Is there anything worse within the church than people storing up resentments to cause trouble later on? Is there anything worse than people almost wanting to be offended? See, the command is stop, says he, stop destructive and unfair fault-finding. And the reason... Such judgments will be like a boomerang. They will come back on us and will be used against us. I think there's another command and another reason in verses 3 to 5. Let's think about these. This is um, 
Very simple. I think the, the command is repent before correcting. Let's read these verses again. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will, be, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus tells us this famous mini parable, specks of dust, planks of wood. It's well known uh, even in uh, ordinary kind of day-to-day language. It's a kind of ludicrous picture, is it not? It shows that Jesus had a sense of humor. Um, and he, I think he also had a wee touch of good old Northern Ireland sarcasm. Because th- this, is, this is dripping with sarcasm. The picture is, and you've seen it, I'm sure, someone struggling with the delicate operation of moving a speck of sawdust out of a friend's eye when all along they have this vast plank of two before or, or four by two, you can never remember which way it's supposed to be, out of, out of his own eye. It is kind of absolutely ridiculous because that plank entirely obscures his vision. It's funny, ha-ha. We all go, oh, yes, funny, funny, funny. You can see what Jesus is saying here. But when the caricature is applied to ourselves, it's not so funny, is it? When I realize, when I'm trying to deal with the speck of dust in somebody else's eye, I've got a plank in my own. It isn't quite so funny, is it? We don't appreciate the humor. So, here's the question. Why do we do this? Why do we delight in judging? Well, I think the reason is that it's due to our insecurity. So, what we do is to build ourselves up. What do we do? We tear other people down. To make ourselves feel good about ourselves, we criticize others. So we might think ourselves as being better than we are, we make judgment on others. So we have this exaggerated, fault-finding attitude to others when we minimize the gravity of our own sin. In other words, we're quick to spot the little speck in somebody else's eye and forget we've got the big plank in our own. So we have this rosy view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of others. We condemn the sins we see in others because either we're doing exact same sins by ourselves or we want to do the same sins as they're doing but are scared to do it. Well, Jesus is very clear about what he thinks about such people. Verse 5, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Log-carrying speck inspectors are hypocrites, says Jesus. And I had to practice that a lot of times to get all those S's right. Speck inspectors. Log-carrying speck inspectors are hypocrites. Don't do it, says Jesus. Don't do it. Instead, he says, repent. That's what you should do. Repent. First, take the plank out of your own eyes. And as we often taught, ongoing repentance is crucial in the life of the disciple. Daily confession of sin is vital for ministry. Getting rid of the planks in our own eyes enables us to see things clearly, says Jesus. 
we see God clearly, we see other people clearly, we see sin clearly, then we can help people. But until we get rid of the plank, we're just a hindrance, we're just a hypocrite. So the command is repent before correcting. Um, the reason is so that we might be able to help people. Help people with their problems. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we receive mercy so that we can show mercy to others. Motivated by humility, we can show love and we can show the grace of the gospel. We're forgiven so that we can help other people receive forgiveness. You see, we can't take a mind-your-own-business attitude to other people. Not within the church. So if I'm doing some, if I'm sinning and you see it, you can't say, oh, it's not my business. Not my business. No. You repent of your sin, get rid of the plank in your eye, then you come and you help me get rid of the speck in my eye. And I'm to do that to you. We do it together as a community so that we're healthy, Christian, Christ-like, gracious community of God's people. Psalm 51 presents a beautiful picture of confession of sin and then the desire to help others. I wonder, did you pick that up? Verse 1 to 3 is the humble confession of sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. That's the confession of sin. Then there's the plank removal in verses 10 and 12. You may remember this? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Isn't that glorious? Then, and only then, David, after his great sin of committing adultery with Bathsheba and having Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, murdered, what does he say? After I've confessed my sin, after I've been forgiven, then, verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. That's verse 5, isn't it? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, David. Then you might see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eyes. It's a bit like Galatians 6 verse 1, is it not? Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. We're talking about here, about high, holy, humble, helpful ministry within the church. We're to be patient and merciful and kind and forgiven because Jesus is to us. So we repent before correcting. That's the command so that we might help other people receive the grace of God and the gospel. That's the danger of judgmentalism. Then there's also a danger of of being undiscerning, verse 6. Just briefly, let's deal with this. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet, and they then turn and tear you to pieces. What we're 
dealing with here, what Jesus is dealing with here, are some of the, some of the folks, not all of the folks outside of the church, outside of Christ, but some of the folks who continually reject and ridicule the gospel. And they're vicious in their approach. And I think, again, we see a command, verse 6, do not give, and we see then a reason they may trample on you, turn against you, and tear you to pieces. It's a bit of a shock, I know, but I think this verse 6 does give balance. And Jesus is always in the interest of giving balance here for our living because we might be tempted after listening to verse 1 to 5, never to say anything to anybody, never to stop taking the gospel to people. But this gospel we have is sacred. It's like pearls, says Jesus. But not everybody sees it like this. And often they respond aggressively, like vicious animal-like behavior. Don't we get that in the media? You know, dear help those poor Christians who sometimes go on the radio and they're torn apart for their views of morality and theology by a world that's increasingly becoming vicious and animal-like against the truth of God. It's almost as if everybody, anybody, everybody's got the right to have an opinion except Christians. And so Jesus pictures these people who are like dogs and pigs. We're not talking the cuddly little pups, but wild hounds roaming the streets and rubbish dumps. We're not talking about uh, little cute little pigs like Babe in the movie, although that shows my age probably. Um, but we're talking about wild hogs who could kill you if they had the chance. Jesus says there are people out there who, who will scorn the truth, the sacred truth, they will reject the, the, the pearl-like, gem-like truth of the gospel. And there comes a time, he says, when you have to stop telling them the truth. Because they may tear you apart. And he says that later on, we're going to continue in Matthew after, after the finishing of the Sermon on the Mountain. We'll, we'll get to chapter 10, God willing. This is what Jesus says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet. Do you remember that expression? Shake the dust from your feet when you leave that home or town. Why? Because time is short. We don't waste the precious time we have with those who continue, I mean continue, to mock and ridicule the message of Jesus. There comes a time when you have to say, I'm going to stop. Now some of you started off like that, didn't you? You mocked the message of Jesus. You ridiculed the message of Jesus. I know your stories. And look what happened to you. You were gloriously converted, weren't you? So, it takes a heart full of love and a heart full of the truth and a heart full of the Holy Spirit and a heart full of great wisdom to know when to stop. But Jesus says, there is a time when you need to stop. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. It's penetrating, I know. I would say to you, never ever be example of this. I don't know if there's anyone in church this morning and you actually know what you're doing. You are savagely critical of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never be like that. If you're not saved yet, you had better have a good reason. The problem is, There is no good reason. 
There is no good reason not to believe. And so the call of Jesus is repent and believe and receive. But here's a word for Christians. Even Christians can slip from a view of the gospel that is like pearl-like. Oh, we see it as gloriously valuable. It's like a gem. It's like a necklace of pearls. And we can, we can drop our view as time goes by and we end up thinking actually pig food or dog food is more attractive than the pearl-like gospel of Jesus. It can happen. We need to be very, very careful. Please never show contempt for the gospel, trampling it under your feet or show hostility to the gospel by turning and tearing the people who present it to you to pieces. Don't do that. Don't do that. So we have the danger of being judgmental and we have also the danger of being undiscerning. And Jesus is trying to tell us how we relate to people. Not every kind of person, but many kinds of people. So within the church, Satan loves to cause tension and trouble. Don't we know that? Yes? So we need to be careful. We, we aren't fault-finding judges. And we're not going to be hypocrites with a big plank in our own eyes condemning the little speck in somebody else's eye. However, positively, we are to be brothers and sisters who repent continually, repent of our sins. Therefore, we can be useful to others. So, if you're a leader, lead and make the judgments that are necessary in that situation. If you are a parent, then make those judgments for your family as you should. Do it graciously, do it fairly, and do it under the instruction of the gospel. And for those outside of the church, how do we deal with, and by the way, not everybody outside the church is like dogs and pigs, but for those who are, how do we deal with them? Well, we seek with spirit-filled hearts and love-filled hearts, present the gospel, but there comes a time when we need to stop and move to those who are more willing and desirous of what we have to say. I think Jesus says to us today, he or she who has ears to hear, let them hear what God has to say to us. And as we come to the table very shortly, we will have in our hands the elements that say, God loves us. And God went through so much pain, suffering, and cost to show us how much he loves us. So let's treat each other with love. Let's reach out to the world in love. Let's not be judgmental, but let us certainly be discerning when the call comes. May God help us to do this day and daily. Let's pray together. Father, we look to you to enable us to do this. We cannot do this consistently in our own power or strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit we can. Thank you for the good news of the gospel, the hope of the truth of your word. May you empower us to be these kinds of Christians in this kind of situation. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.